Hello, film lovers. Yes, it's that time of the week again. Sit down, relax, pop in your headphones, and whap out some popcorn. It is time for the Films I Love Most podcast. film lovers and welcome back to the films i love podcast episode three we are now a trilogy it's official who knew so what have we got coming up today we have got movie news of course movie reviews of course but obviously i'm not looking forward to today's movie reviews because i will be reviewing midsummer and i'm still feeling a little bit queasy so you're gonna have to bear with me okay Um, We have films I love most and an interview with a very interesting filmmaker from North London, Craig Heathcote, who also worked on one of my favourite TV shows, but I'm not going to give it away because it's all going to be revealed in the interview. And film found for a pound this week is very apt. It links to a film that I will be reviewing in the latest releases. So um, everything's coming together this week. It's been amazing. So let's crack on. Welcome to episode three of Films I Love Most. Hello, and now it is time for me to read some of your correspondence out from your emails. You have been emailing me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Um, Yes, so let's crack on with that. Um, Hi, Keith. Hello. I saw on Instagram that this week was a Pride special. It is indeed. And I'd just like to say that it was great meeting you at Pride this year. And it was interesting to hear your thoughts on Midsummer. Yes, we did meet. Uh, Vicky, yes, of course. So, um, yeah, we met just near Oxford Street and we were having a chat about movies. And um, now Vicky is a fan of the Films I Love podcast. So, perfect. My favourite LGBT movie of recent years has been Lizzie. What do you think of it? I hope you've seen it. I hope to see you again soon. Vicky from Berlin. Hmm, Lizzie. Yes, I have seen it. I think I saw it at the film festival last year. Um, I cannot remember. Uh, Christian Stewart, I think, is in it. Um, Let me just try and get back to my memories of that film. So, yeah, it's based on Lizzie, like a legend in America of a girl who kills... Um, her household with an axe but she also had a a lesbian affair with the handmaid in the house um i remember it being quite a shocking film quite graphically violent but also the central relationship between lizzie and the handmaid of the the house being quite touching quite realistic and quite um moving that she sort of is spurred on to commit this disgusting act against her father and her mother because of the abuse that this handmaid has suffered under the family's hand. So, um, yeah, I remember it being quite uh, violent, like I said, um, but very 
interesting and I can understand why it's probably your favourite depiction of a gay relationship on screen. Um, yes, I'm so sorry that I am not very coherent with that because it has been a while since I've seen it. But thank you very much, Vicky. Um, it was interesting to speaking to you about Midsummer. Obviously, we'll be speaking about that a little later on. Um, yeah, pretty much all of your um, correspondence this week has been about Midsummer. Uh, let's read another one. Let's go. Uh, Dear Keith, me and my husband have just returned from an afternoon showing of Midsummer. I'm where to start. Hmm, where to start indeed. Beautiful, horrific, thought-provoking and disturbing. These are all descriptions I heard from people as they made their way out of the cinema. <laughs> Very interested to hear what you have to think and that's from fabian in london well it's coming up very soon on the movie reviews um i don't know if any of you are following me on instagram facebook and twitter but you will see some um comments that i made about midsummer when i saw it literally my first reaction as i walked out of the cinema um there was a lot of emojis of the green variety due to the fact that the film did make me feel a little unwell but we'll go more in depth into that in movie reviews which is coming up very soon okay so it's time let's do it it is the review of midsummer i'm not looking forward to this in the slightest because i'm still feeling a little bit sick from watching it but i will do my best here's a clip what time is it 9 p.m that can't be right the sky is blue this is what 9 p.m is like here <laughs> welcome and happy midsummer unbelievable <laughs> Let our feast commence! It's like they're trying to make it gross. What are they playing? Skin the fool. Skin the fool. So we just gotta ignore the bed. It's a bear. of all the things to let me sleep through. That sounds fun. As you can tell from that clip, Midsummer, the themes are pretty similar to those of The Wicker Man, for example, and films that deal with religion and festivals especially pagan festivals but midsummer is a very different animal to the wicker man and i'll explain why in a moment but yes midsummer is the second film from ariaster who directed hereditary last year um, probably one of the most shocking films i've seen in the cinema if not for the awful last 15 minutes which i did not take to at all um, such a good build-up such a disappointing end luckily Midsummer does not suffer from that fate, so you'll be pleased to know. Um, Midsummer starts off with a group of friends and a troubled relationship between uh, the characters of Christian and Danny. Danny's family are killed in quite a horrific way, and she needs a shoulder to cry on, and Christian is not that shoulder, um, as we learn. But... Um, yeah, Christian is going to do a university thesis on Midsummer, which is a pagan festival, um, and is going to Sweden to study this. 
So off he trots to Sweden um, and Danny decides that she wants to come too. The thing I found troubling about this film is that from the moment that they arrive at the Swedish village, the sense of dread and hopelessness overwhelmed me so much that I found it very difficult to get too invested in the characters because I just thought horrible things are going to happen to them. And I do get very emotionally attached to characters and films. So I knew that, you know, they were not going to have an easy ride. So therefore, I sort of kept my distance a little bit. That lasted for about 15 minutes. And I then I was completely drawn into it. It was beautiful to look at. The performances are fantastic. Florence Pugh, who plays Danny, is hypnotising in that role. I mean, you can't take your eyes off her. She's beautiful. She plays it with conviction. You can see the, the, the hurt and the grief that she's dealing with and the suspicion and the jealousy that she has towards her boyfriend. All of these are in a huge cooking pot. And then all of this weird stuff is going on in this village. Uh, during this festival and she's just incredible I mean I think that that is an Oscar nominated performance but it probably won't be because of the film itself um there's a lot of other characters that are a little bit throwaway I know that a lot of people would watch this film for Will Poulter's um appearance but he's in it very sparingly um and his character is actually very annoying I did not really enjoy his character at all, so I was quite happy um, when he met his fate, which I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's pretty grim. The themes, I would say, it's not so much a dark fairy tale, but a dark sort of breakup movie in some way. I know that sounds weird, but it is a grotesque, twisted breakup movie because, you know... You can see from the very beginning that Danny and Christian's relationship is falling down around their ears. But, you know, and you know that one of them should go, do you know what? This isn't working. But the way they go about it in this film is pretty extreme. Um, it is very violent. I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's graphic um, gore was very off-putting to me, even though I am used to watching horror movies. This was very intense, very gruesome very torturous in some scenes I felt physically sick in some scenes because of a mixture of music a mixture of cinematography and graphic material if you are a fan of bears I would probably say that this film is not for you um, <laughs> even though um, the company who made the film have now released an action figure of the uh, the bear from the film, which I think is very funny. You can purchase that on their website. Bit twisted, but never mind. Yes, I am. Like right now, I'm lost for words when I'm thinking about this film. Just like I was when I walked out of the cinema. It's beautiful. One of the things that sh like that stands out immediately is the fact that it all takes place during the sort of daylight hours because at that time in Sweden there's very little um, darkness because of the season so all these horrors are playing out in very bright sunshine which is very unusual for a horror movie there's very little darkness in the film it's it's 
it's interesting. There's a lot of underlining themes going on. There's like each character has a very strong motivation for what they're doing and why they're there. It's one of those things where, you know, like hereditary and midsummer to me are like clowns. You know, there's something dark going on behind it, but it's dark with darkness with a smile. And that is what scares me the most about midsummer is that horrible things are happening but there are people that are enjoying it and people that are getting involved and that are loving the festivities even though these horrific things are happening and that is the most scariest thing in the film to me that you know extreme violence extreme brutality against human beings is happening and there are people celebrating it and embracing it and that is horrible i would say the last 15 minutes are so intense that my stomach flipped like I was on a roller coaster at least twice. That bit when you get to the top of a roller coaster and then you drop, that was the end of Midsummer for me. That's what exactly the same feeling. Would I recommend it? Absolutely. Should you see it? Yes. Why? Because it's one of those films that we will look back and go, that changed the face of a genre. That film is is a genre-bending, genre-redefining film. Will you enjoy it? Probably not. It's not one of those films that you come out and go in, I loved that, I thought, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's an experience movie. So go and experience it. I would give Midsummer 9 out of 10. It is a masterpiece, but please be warned, you will not sleep well for at least three nights after watching it. Happy Midsummer! I know it's not a movie, but it might as well be. Stranger Things Season 3 is out on Netflix now. I blitzed it over two nights, thought it was absolutely fantastic, best season yet. The detail, you know, the the time put in to get the detail of like the surroundings and, and the 80s feel is incredible with the music, the set, the cultural references absolutely spot on i was watching it and i just you know i love that genre i love that genre i love that time period the 80s you know when vhs was big and these sort of films were just churned out you know like adventures of a babysitter and et and mac and me and all those films are just like churned out through vhs and i just love that stranger things has captured the feel of that um Obviously, the cliffhanger is going to haunt me for a whole year. I need to know what's happening. Um, please, please, please don't make us wait two years for season four. Netflix, I beg you. Um, performances are great. The kids are fantastic. Even though they're growing up too fast, it's making me feel very old. Renona Ryder, of course, is just, you know, such a welcome face of Stranger Things because I remember her, watching her in films like Beetlejuice, for example, and... Um, Edward Scissorhands as a child David Harbour is just great um, he's redeemed himself in my eyes after the absolute disastrous um, Hellboy film so welcome back to the fold David Harbour you're amazing and yeah I cannot recommend it enough if you haven't seen Stranger Things before go and watch it from the beginning it's such a rewarding uh, program to watch you'll be absolutely hooked and season three you know is probably the icing on the cake for me at the moment i know the fact that season four um could possibly be the last i'm hoping that will be the cherry on the top um but yeah stranger things season three 
Watch it now, guys. It's amazing. Cowabunga. Hello, welcome back. Welcome to the Pride special of films I love most. Now, it's a Pride special because we're going to be talking about films that exist within the LGBT community. Um, I'm going to give you my picks of things that I think you should be watching. And we have an interview coming up with a lovely man called Craig Heathcote. And he's going to talk to you about his experiences working in the film industry, specifically working on LGBTQ plus projects. Um, I would say over the last sort of five years, the LGBT community have been served very well in the movie industry with films like Call Me By Your Name, God's Own Country, Beach Rats and Love, Simon, which was a huge hit all around the world. Well, almost all around the world. Um, so... Yeah, the LGBT community, like I said, have got a lot of output and it's really interesting to see how cinema has evolved for for this community. I mean, I'm a gay man myself, so I am very interested in how LGBT issues are represented in film. When I was growing up, there was nothing really. You didn't, you know, sort of see any films that had any serious message to say about the LGBT issues. Most of the, um, you know, sort of my first experiences of gay characters on screen were in soap operas, which are not always well represented. And um, as mentioned in my interview with Craig Heathcote, it's um, almost like there's a gay kiss on EastEnders and the next day there's an uproar. It's on the news about how many complaints there's been. So even though it's meant to be a positive thing for the LGBTQ plus community, it ends up being a negative because you're like, yay, a gay kiss. But oh my goodness, everyone's complaining about it and everybody hates me. So um, it's really nice to see some very positive representation in films. Now, obviously, I'm a gay man. So when it comes to sort of lesbian films... Um, and their representation I haven't seen much of that so I'm not going to lie to you um, I know there is a film called Lizzie that came out which had, which um, interested a lot of people because of its uh, representation of lesbian women especially in the time period that it was set um, but I'm going to talk to you about my favourite which is probably God's Own Country it's the most beautifulest film it deals with a very troubled young man who's living in a rural community and um, they hire this gentleman from abroad to come and work on the farm and help them because the boy's dad has recently been taken ill and therefore they need extra help. And of course, this blooming love story comes from uh, that relationship and it's beautiful and it's real. And, you know, as a gay man, I could see the perspective of that character falling in love for the first time, but being scared and not knowing how to approach it. And, you know, what are people going to think? And, you know, it's a scary situation to be in, but God's Own Country plays it beautifully. And um, I don't want to give away the end because, you know, there are some very there are some huge twists and turns on the way, but the end is beautiful and the closing music to the film has been on my iPod ever since I saw the film. Um, so yeah, I would say God's Own Country, um, if you're interested in checking out some 
absolute quality LGBT community filmmaking, that is where to start. Um, Call Me By Your Name was obviously a very, very big hit all around the world. It is a beautiful film, undeniably. Um, I loved it when I first saw it. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, They weren't quite sure about the um, relationship between the two leads, Army Hammer. Um, Particularly, they weren't sort of... Like, they didn't really adore his performance. And I can quite see that. He is quite cold in it, um, quite standoffish. But as a film... Set in the 80s, the beautiful Italian landscape, the music, um, which can be quite um, overpowering at times. But the music, you know, it all sort of comes together to make this very powerful movie. And um, a huge Oscar winner, of course. Um, So, yeah, Call Me By Your Name is another one to check out if you are um, interested in seeing how things have progressed since those, oh my goodness, they kissed in the soap days. Um, Beach Rats, very interesting Australian movie. The lead is actually an English um, actor who got the part. Um, It's very, very good. It's very much centred on sort of a gang community. So, like, this um, young man belongs to a gang in Australia and meets men on the side without anybody knowing because he doesn't want his secret to be to come out um and yeah it's very powerful it's a downward spiral for the the main character who struggles with his feelings and his responsibilities ultimately it doesn't have a hap- as happier ending as call me well call me by your name does not have a happy ending really if you think about it but it doesn't have a more upbeat ending as uh, God's Own Country does. So, Beach Rats is very gritty, it's raw, it's more sort of urban indie filmmaking. So if that interests you, again, Beach Rats is a very high recommendation from me. And then there's Love, Simon, which was a huge hit. Um, It is basically one of those cheesy 80s teen comedies slash, you know, coming-of-age stories, but instead of having a guy pining over, you know, the girls from Breakfast Club, he's pining over a man. And, yeah, it's nice. I do have one niggle with it, is that it's the representation of gay men in film, is that they are always, you know, perfectly uh, handsome, beautiful people, and, you know, perfection, which is not true. I mean, hello. Um, You know, right now I'm struggling to keep my... Um, you know, puffy eyes and my wrinkles from appearing. So we're not all perfect. But in Love, Simon, when the two characters finally come together after extended emailing, I um, I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't have it more based in reality. You know, the character was like the knight in shining armour. But I suppose it is, for the genre, it works well. But um, and that brings me on to one of my biggest disappointments that there um, hasn't been very strong gay representation in the Marvel universe. And I honestly do think they've missed a trick by not making Peter Parker part of the LGBTQ plus community, because what better way 
to go, you know, we are inclusive, this is us, we don't care, you know, if you don't like it, get over it. So they're making Spider-Man like a gay character. It would have worked so well, I think. I don't, it didn't have to sort of go down the tropes that the Spider-Man films have of him falling in love with Mary Jane, who's MJ. I mean, MJ could definitely mean something else. It doesn't have to mean Mary Jane. But, um, yeah, it's just, I think it's a missed opportunity. I don't think, even though there are some very strong um, LGBT films coming out, and material, I just think that in those bigger franchises, they need to break through a little bit more and have better representation, even in Star Wars. I mean, there's, you know, there's rumours of um, Poe being like a gay character, but it's not, you know, it's it's just a rumour. There's nothing to sort of clarify that. So I do think that they need to definitely bring more lgbtq plus characters into those huge franchises just to make it more inclusive for people because you know who wouldn't want to see a gay captain america i mean that's my dream come true as promised here is my interview recorded earlier on today with craig heathcote Hello there, film lovers, and welcome back to the Films I Love Most podcast. I'm on location, 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 and um, I'm here with a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi there, I'm Craig Heathcote, and I'm a director and filmmaker based in North London. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me. That's great. Thank you for giving up some of your time. I know you're a very, very busy man. Um, So we're here on our Pride special. I know that you particularly uh, have a penchant for making films about LGBT issues and the community. Um, Tell me how you got into that. Yeah, that's right. Um, So, kind of by accident, I... Um, when I kind of started filmmaking, like anyone, my dream was kind of commercials and music videos. Um, and then I just had this idea around the time that RuPaul's Drag Race was kind of becoming massive um, about a London-based drag night called Sink the Pink. And I've been a few times and it's just a crazy, at least then it was a crazy, messy, like disorganised um, kind of night and I thought oh this is a really interesting opposite to drag race that's not what I think drag is certainly not in London or in the UK any anymore so I approached them and then spent six months making six short films about the individual drag queens um, kind of behind the um, behind the night and then just from there really my passion for kind of people's stories and documentary and LGBT issues grew and it, yeah it's a main focus for me now um, it's, a, it's just a massive like kind of inbuilt passion of mine just to kind of tell those stories and give people a voice and a um, yeah a, a space to talk about what's going on with them really. Sure you say that um, you know your experience there was not how you perceived sort of drag and sort of other things did you feel that um, by doing these films that you could maybe change other people's perceptions on um, the LGBT community? Oh yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that's probably... I, I'm trying to avoid saying those kind of things because it's quite scary, but I think I, that is why you make 
why I make film anyway to um, give exposure to certain communities, marginalised communities. Yeah, I, I think lots of people probably thought drag was maybe slightly older men, very traditional kind of beautiful makeup, spangly dresses, and that just wasn't the new scene that was kind of coming through. And yeah, I think it was about this is what's really going on, and this is like. RuPaul's Drag Race is amazing, but also there's this whole other scene uh, that you should all know about. Yeah. Um, if you could get a message out there, if you could make a film um, that had the most impact, what do you think that film would be specifically about? Uh, that's a huge question. <laughs> um, I suppose... Hmm, I've, I made a film series recently about gender because that is very much a kind of developing um, topic in the LGBTQ plus community but I think really what's what's needed at the moment is things looking at trans rights um, I mean there's always kind of nuances and intersections of the community that need covering but yeah I think our trans friends need a lot of help it's very similar I think it's okay to compare it to the kind of, you know, gay men AIDS crisis in the 80s. There's just so much moral panic and media kind of trash about um, kind of the trans community. So, yeah, I am looking up something there, but just working out what. Um, at the moment, obviously, it's a pretty scary place for, like you said, trans people, but of but also the LGBT community as a whole with um, hate crime on the rise. Um, quite right-wing um, leaders coming into power. Um, do you think that we have anything to be scared of? Ooh, again, that's a massive question. Um, I think we need to stick together. I think we need to rely on our allies, straight allies. Um, I don't think I can answer that question. It's quite a loaded question. Yeah. Let me let me um, add a sort of subtext to that. So, how do you think that film could um, sort of help um, the community sort of combat these issues that they might be coming across in more recent times? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it can help enormously. Um, what it's about is visibility and representation. I think so the more films that are in mainstream cinema that are telling LGBTQ stories, the more um, oh, podcasts there are, the more radio shows there are, the more episodes of EastEnders that are talking about these issues, those things are vital. Um, and yeah, it's about visibility and representation. And I think normalizing um, these topics and just making it very clear to everyone that these people are valid and uh, no one's going anywhere. So, yeah, it's, it's visibility and representation, I think. So, as a gay man myself, my first sort of experience in the media of gay, like, LGBT issues was in soap. So, I remember the, the gay kiss on EastEnders particularly, um, but then also I remember the huge backlash that had in the media. Do you think that's getting better? I think it is. It's interesting, actually, because I've been re-watching those original EastEnders episodes on the on the drama channel on, on you know, kind of Sky. Um, I think it is. I think... I know EastEnders did an episode last week about Pride, like, they had their own kind of Pride 
I think it is getting better. I think producers and writers and directors that are involved in those shows, I think a new generation is coming through and just realising that A, they have allies in that audience and B, that yeah, they, if they don't tell those stories, they're not reflecting London or Manchester or wherever it might be, particularly those two cities, you know, with East Enders and Coronation Street. Um, yeah, so I think it is... It's not enough yet, but I mean, I think EastEnders has four LGBT characters, which is kind of extraordinary. Um, so yeah, I think I think we're very much getting there. Soap is a really important platform um, for those stories because it's in a large amount of the audience's houses four times a week plus. So yeah, it's vital really. What um, film-wise have you enjoyed recently um, films for the LGBT community? Um, so I know we talked about this prior to today I think God's Own Country and uh, Beach Rats actually that we just talked about are um, possibly my favourite I'm actually just trying to recall what else I've seen I've watched a lot of kind of like stuff on Netflix that's really lovely like just in the LGBTQ section that obviously we're quite under the radar um, but yeah I think those two I think God's Own Country was just great acting characters everything and I just completely believed the world and related to it um, I have a rather controversial opinion on Call Me By Your Name that I actively okay really so I wanted it. to talk to you about this because obviously um, when I was communicating with you I did mention yeah. Call Me By Your Name and you said oh well, I do really like that film um, explain why because I, personally I, I think it's a beautiful film what, what, did you, what were your issues it's a really weird one because I was so excited to see it and I see you on Twitter and everyone's talking about it and people have already seen it and journalists are writing about it. So I went in, I'm not being controversial, like just trying to be provocative, I went in thinking I'm going to love this. I just didn't like any of the characters. I didn't really believe the chemistry between the two leads. And just for me, there was things like production choices like the music I found so intrusive and infuriating I, I, it just it, it's so weird I think yeah, yeah. I think my feelings are quite strong about it because there was so much anticipation this enormously like significant LGBTQ film in, in mainstream cinema it just didn't do it for me God's Own Country did and Beach Rats I think mm, maybe it was about the kind of maybe it felt slightly heightened and not very relatable and naturalistic sure yeah I think all your points you've said are actually valid I do personally I do think the music is very intrusive in that film um, with its setting in like the 80s obviously sometimes it's not as relatable because um, I didn't live through that and obviously there was a lot going on with like we mentioned before the AIDS crisis and stuff that didn't sort of perpetrate the film mm. so therefore you know it was um it was all a bit too, like, it, it wasn't as naturalistic for its time that I would have liked to have been. Um, now, I have mentioned this to you before, but um, you did work on one of my favourite TV shows of all time. Now, I can, we can talk about this on films I love most because there was a film made of it. So tell me what you worked on and tell me some of your experiences. Tell me what your position was on, those, on that series. Um, so you're talking about Spooks, I am. Uh, the BBC One um, spy drama. Yes, it was my first ever job 
in the industry. So t- TV and TV drama was my kind of like original passion. Um, and it was my favorite TV show. So it was a, a completely extraordinary experience. Um, and I got the job through a job scheme. So I th- and I think because of that, like it was very clear I was passionate about the show. So that all worked quite well for me. Um, I was the production office runner for the first two series I worked on. Then the third series, I was what you call production secretary. Um, so that is being part of the like five or six person team. That is the kind of heart of the show. You shoot for seven months for kind of eight to ten episodes. It's a really long shoot. Um, so we would keep it going, basically support locations, production design. I would drive to set all the time. Yeah, it's, it's an, really almost hard to explain how that team in that office, yeah, make those make those shows uh, run. And obviously, there are production offices doing that all over the place for all the shows we love. Still, um, it oh, what was it like? It was like working on a movie. So very relevant to this podcast on a TV kind of budget and schedule. Um, I got to see some amazing things and I think I was quite lucky that because I was probably extremely excitable about the job and it was my life, the first couple of series particularly, I got to do lots of, I think I was quite lucky, I was treated very well. Um, I, my, one of my all-time favourite memories was standing on Parliament Square on a Sunday when we shut it off. Um, to blow up a car and just being like this is unbelievable I'm in like you know an iconic square looking at House of Parliament working on this show um, similarly we an entire episode was set at the Thames Barrier and um, that was an incredible experience as well it's, it's a beautiful July day and the sun was like bouncing off the kind of metal of the Thames Barrier and I just was like oh this is this is ridiculous um, and yeah, the cast were all lovely, um, and it was at a point where the show was at the height of its popularity, so we were kind of being nominated for BAFTAs for Series 5, which was just unheard of for any TV show. Um, yeah, and the office, the production office and the, the, the set for the grid, the kind of hub, MI5, like hub, where they all kind of worked, was in the same kind of complex, so, you know, to be able to go and watch them filming on that set was amazing um, yeah Hermione Norris is the nicest lady on television <laughs> she was just so wonderful um, yeah oh amazing uh, so much brilliant guest actors which was uh, you know an amazing experience to meet those kind of people yeah I could talk about it for hours it was an yeah. incredible experience I've got a couple of questions yeah. you mentioned the explosion in Parliament Square was that the one that killed Adam Carter no that was later oh. on I think uh it was the one where Juliet Shaw was crippled. Yes, yes, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Because um, I would... I mean, Adam Carter's death is probably the, the <laughs> one of the biggest things that's ever affected me on TV yeah. because I loved him and he was gone in such a, you know, throwaway moment of, oh, he's going to make it. Oh, we didn't. Like, did, um, did yeah. how far in advance do you know about the shocks that happened in that show? Um, logistically, boringly, you know, like, actors' contracts are negotiated kind of a year ahead. So I certainly, when I started on Series 5, even though I was in, like, 
what the hell am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. It's my first job. We knew that Nicola Walker was leaving to have a baby. Um, and then, similarly, Series 6, they knew that Hermione Norris was leaving to have a baby towards the end. Um, so, yeah, you know those things and um, you plan ahead. One, um, hopefully no one from Kudos Film TV is listening to this. Hopefully <laughs> they are. It's too late. I'm out of contract. <laughs> One of the most insane experiences of that job was at the end of Series 6, where Adam and... Uh, Joe, played by Miranda Raisin, yes. are trapped in a cellar with people traffickers. I can't remember the exact. Are they the people that kidnap spies and torture them for information? That's, that's it. Yes. And I don't know the exact logistics of what was going on, but that day we were filming that scene in that cellar of that house. I was driving script amendments to the set and back all day so they were changing their minds about what was being said what was happening and because there's like this whole kind of etiquette you'd have to then rewrite the script pages and drive them out for the actors and everyone and the director and you know the the kind of important people we were literally I was driving out script amendments anyone that works in TV will know script amendments are particularly Um, and then I stayed on to help the post-production delivery of um, that series and they were having a story conference for series seven and they were they were still working out so why exactly is she dead are we? it was just a really oh, yes. weird like I don't know whether they didn't know if Miranda was coming back to do series seven which I didn't work on um, or, or what but it was just this bizarre like yeah kind of to the wire um, wow it, and uh, the thing about spooks and people will never understand is that that show was almost retold in the edit as well. So I think, yeah. I think what in the end he whispers in her ear, you think he's broken her neck and she's dead, but actually she's not, like, she's alive. Sure, sure. And then she... That was crazy. And then she gets it quite horrifically, yeah. you know, one series later. Yeah, in series eight. In a, in a quite a throwaway death, so... Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Personally, as a fan, I think I would have preferred her to have... Um, to have gone the way that she may have originally was supposed to have done. But I think that yeah. they told a very interesting story with her later about um, post-traumatic stress. Yeah, definitely. Um, Miranda was, is an amazing actress, and that, she did a great job with that character. Um, I think often with Spooks, the leads, you know, rightly, like Rupert Henry Jones was an incredible lead. Um, they, they get slightly outshone. Um, but no, she was great. Yeah, it was... You say throwaway ending, but that's kind of spooks, isn't it? That's the the trademark it was to to kill off people in a kind of stunning, shocking way. Absolutely. I mean, it's famous for its deep fat fryer death in series one, and I think it's carried on from there. Yeah, exactly. Um, If there was a TV show that you could work on now, what would you like to work on? (sighs) That's a brilliant question, and I probably say this all the time. Uh, I think because I did work on spooks, and it was a show that everyone was talking about, probably line of duty wow yes um, because I think it's a very similarly kind of heightened tightly produced show brilliant actors brilliantly like British show as well um, yeah that and what, what, what am I fanboying over loads, <laughs> loads of things um, I love Pose the FX show that I think is on Netflix and BBC2 um but yeah, if I wanted to like get a bit of glory, it probably would be Line of Duty because it's just 
a standout show, you know, that's made the whole country kind of talk about it, which is very hard um, in kind of the multi-channel age. Yeah. Excellent. Um, what's next? For me, um, so I am, yeah, so we've slightly detracted from the fact that I, yeah, I'm kind of making my own documentary work and um, I'm keeping, I've had a bit of a low profile this year, just kind of earning money and you know, the life of a filmmaker is quite hard and complicated at times. Um, but I'm, I'm developing a couple of ideas about the LGBT community, so on various topics. Obviously, I mentioned the trans um, film. Um, yeah, and just slowly getting those off the ground, I think. And then I'm basically always pitching on professional commercial work, uh, writing pitches and treatments, um, which is, again, the life of a filmmaker. And you just wait for something to happen. Sometimes you wait six months, which is what's happened this year. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I'm also just trying to really carefully curate what I do now and only do stuff that um, fits with the kind of profile I want which again when you're a filmmaker in uh, a city full of them it's not as easy to do that so yeah well whatever you do next make sure you let us know because we will be um, reviewing it and promoting it on films I love most for definite thank you very much thank you so much um, we have a section in the podcast called films I love most so um, you have to choose a film that you love and then we will re-watch it and give our opinion. So if you could choose a film, what would it be and why? Blimey. Um, wow. I actually, I was thinking about this when we started talking. It's completely irrelevant to anything we've talked about, but <laughs> one of my all-time favourite films is um, The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, it is just this extra- I say extraordinary a lot it is this extraordinary um, th- like he there's no music and the tension and the like doom oh, I, I don't know I just absolutely love it the costumes this that kind of like stranger coming to a small town bringing this like plague with her I think it's absolutely incredible and it's extremely disturbing yes um, yeah I, it's, it's in one of my um, I have a funny relationship with some films. I, I'm quite hard to please, I suppose. But that is always in my like, top five. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, we look forward to speaking again with you soon. Thank you for having me. It's been a real honour. Thank you. Don't forget... You can contact me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Films I Love Most podcast and you will find us there. Get involved. We have competitions. We have Film Found for a Pound. We have reviews. We have movie news. So if you're interested in film and you love the podcast, then please follow us and get involved. You'll be very welcome. Film found for a pound. Oh, well, I'm trying to make some jingles, but they're not um, going very well, are they? That just sounded awful. So if anyone out there is good at making jingles, please let me know, because I'd love some. That'd be so much fun to have a little jingle before each section. So, yeah, if you're interested in doing that for me, let me know, please. Uh, Anyway, film found for a pound. So this is a good one this week. 
And it, you know, the serendipity of this film for a pound for a pound is incredible. So I went into one of my local charity shops to find my film found for a pound. And they had a selection of Blu-rays, which is very rare. And I sifted through them and I found Hereditary for a pound on Blu-ray. Now, this is serendipitous because I'd just been to see Midsummer, So, and they had the same director. So I thought, I hadn't seen it since the cinema, I'll buy it, I'll take it home, and I'll watch it again and see what I think this time round. So I did. And my goodness, it's still a grim watch. Um, no, it's not. It's it's beautifully filmed. I mean, the opening scenes with the miniatures and, um, yeah, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful, so clever. It's so, like, it's oozing with dread. Like, you know, there's it's almost like a world created that just has no hope. It's very much like Midsummer. You know, you know that these characters are going to go through something and there's no hope for them. There's no, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. It's just pure, unadulterated dread. And I love it. It's so good. I say I love it. I love it until the last 15 minutes when it just seems to go off the rails a little bit. The setup, the um the tension built through the film sort of doesn't really bear fruit at the end. It's quite rushed. The the answers to the questions that we have are answered, but they're not really that clever. They're not really that original. It's very much sort of a run of the mill you know, demon possession story, which, you know, we've seen before and seen better, actually, um, better, better handled. But I think if you just put that aside and you just think about Hereditary as a piece of art, you just look at the imagery and the way it's shot and the cuts in it. I mean, it's edited brilliantly. There are some very quick edits in there that are fantastic, especially when things go from night to day or day to night, the edits are, like, the way that they edit it is fantastic. Um, yeah, Hereditary is an odd one, because even though I have a lot of respect for it, and I could watch it again, it's just that ending, it just, you know, I'm just so frustrated that something better didn't come out of it, because the rest of the film, the, the rest of, like, you know, the one hour and 40 minutes that precede it are fantastic. So, yeah. That's my film found for a pound this week, Hereditary. You can buy it from all the best places, Amazon, um, you know, other stores are available. And please send in pictures of your films found for a pound. We have a lovely selection. I have a, um, some here, Little Miss Sunshine, I th is, again, I mean, someone else bought that last week, I think. Um, Blood of the Satan's Claw was another one that was sent in to me. Um, on Blu-ray, which is, again, incredible, because I know that that is particularly difficult to find. I think people take these things in charity shops just not knowing, you know, what gems they have. Anything sort of Arrow video or, you know, those sort of things are just so sought after. You know, the, like the Artificial Eye series, um, you know, things like that are just gold dust to me and to be able to find them for a pound in a charity shop is just like oh um what else have i got i'm just going to sift through my correspondence that you've sent in donnie darko is a very popular one of people finding for a pound yeah i think that's so because um it was very popular in its day so a lot of people bought it when it came out 
maybe some people watched it and was just like this is not for me at all and therefore have given it away to charity interstellar is another one that's quite popular one of my least favorite christopher nolan film i think uh, i couldn't really connect with it i remember when i saw it in the cinema i saw it with my sister and um you know when it finished i was like well that's two hours and a half i'm never getting back i didn't i did not connect well with interstellar inception one of my favorite films of all time interstellar no thank you mr nolan um yeah i think that's it oh hang on there was one who who sent it to me i think it was claire let's have a look yes interstellar has a sort of older brother that i much prefer and that's solaris and someone found the original solaris on dvd in a charity shop which is one of my favorite films of all time it's so like oh it's it's such a well-made film and it's almost the meaning of life, you know, put in onto the cinema screen. It's fantastic. And, um, yeah, still really eerie to this day. Uh, if you can find it, it's the original. Now, it was remade with um, George Clooney. Um, it's not a bad version of the story, but it's not how, you know, it's not how the story should be told. You need to go and find the original um, version. I think it's Polish... Um, yeah, I think it's Polish. So, yeah, if you can find that, that's great. Someone found it for a pound in a charity shop. What a bargain. So let me know what you are finding for pounds in charity shops or wherever you get your film found for a pound. You might get them from boot sales. It's summertime. There are a lot of boot sales out there, guys. Hit them hard and let me know. That is your lot from me today, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Please don't forget you can contact us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Follow us, tweet us, do whatever you like. You know, you're more than welcome. We are open to any suggestions. And, you know, send in your correspondence. Tell us what you're watching at the moment. What should I be watching? If there's any TV series, any movies that you've seen where you think you should be watching this, Keith, this is amazing, then I will go and I will seek it out and watch it just for you because that's what I do. We are all friends here. Lovely. I shall see you next week. Thank you very much for joining me on the Films I Love Most podcast. Bye. Okay. <laughs>